Well, hello again, and uh, thank you to Jay and the team for leading us this morning. Tell you what, things just are seeming stranger and stranger by the day, by the moment. Uh, I know this seems odd for you, uh, even for us this past week. I mean, the 1st of April, April Fool's Day, and it's snowing. Uh, what is going on all around us? But we're here, and we're persevering, and we're continuing. Uh, as I begin this morning, I sort of want to answer the question up front, why is White Rock Baptist Church here? Uh, what are we about? Where's this ministry going? What are we hoping to do and to achieve? For the regulars of our church, uh, you would know that we express our purpose, we express our vision uh, within our mission statement, that White Rock Baptist Church seeks to be a loving community of hope in Jesus Christ, worshiping God and growing in faith to impact the world. But what does that mean? Uh, what are we aiming for? What are we trying to do? And how will we even know when we get there? Well, basically, it means we're trying to build disciples, disciples of Jesus Christ, disciples who hope in Jesus, disciples who worship God, disciples who grow in their own faith. And then as those individual disciples gather together as a body of Christ, uh, we're a community, and we seek to be a community known for our deep love for one another. And as we love one another, so we serve one another. And because of that, well, we go ahead and impact the world. We as a church want to grow. We want to grow spiritually. We want to grow relationally. And we want to grow numerically. Now, you might kind of go, well, how's that even possible in this new world we find ourselves in? This world of social distancing, of, of isolation, of quarantine, or even of lockdown in certain cities and countries around the world. You know, I, I know what you're feeling. I, I know you're feeling cooped up. I know you're feeling isolated. I share that same feeling. But I want you to know it is still possible for us as a community to impact our world, to still grow spiritually, to still grow relationally, and indeed to grow numerically as we share what we're experiencing, as we pray for one another and as we serve one another. Uh, for some of you, you might be maybe more introverted than me, and you're okay with being at home reading and watching TV and, and just kind of on your own anyway. I've got to tell you, for me, this is tough. I'm a people person. I'm extroverted. I want to get out. I need to connect. Uh, you know, and, and if I might confess, uh, you know, last week, I even contemplated getting together with a friend of mine. I sort of thought, well, you know, there's the, the six foot kind of distance. Uh, so I texted my friend and I said to him, look, I'm, I'm going to sneak in through your side gate uh, and I'll meet you in your backyard and we just keep distant. We have a drink together. We chat. We find out how each other's doing. And it was just, I need to connect with you. I haven't seen you in ages. And of course he replies and says, well, I'm kind of fighting some flu symptoms and flu at the moment. So, you know, maybe a rain check. And I was like, yes, Jesus, I get that warning. Thank you for making my friends sick. And just joking with you, of course, but I take that warning and uh, no, I won't be seeing you. But I miss my friends. I miss hugging my friends. I, I'm not the most touchy feely person you've ever known. Uh, but if you're watching this and you're one of my friends, know that I'm giving you a hug when we're allowed to. 
And if you come and hug me, fine as well. So how do we move on and become a church that impacts the world? How do we make a difference? How do we grow? How do we do what we believe God has called us to do? Well, I think it's when we decide not to make it all about ourselves. It's when we realize that we're being called into something so much greater and we can serve and help other people. Now, of course, you might be asking and going, well, how can I help somebody else? I want you to know that through our congregation and within our church, we have a number of people who cannot get out of their homes for all sorts of reasons. And they're in need of somebody to go and collect groceries, for somebody to do errands for them. We've already had a number of people contact the office asking if somebody can help. We have other volunteers who are stepping in to do that. And if you're able to help, uh, let the office know. Or if you need help, contact the church office. Email us or hop online. Another way is we've got access to save on food cards or or gift cards, I should say. Uh, And if you buy a gift card, you can still use that gift card for the full value that you paid for it. But a small percentage goes to support sources and our local food bank. That's another very practical way that we can help out. Again, if you want more information for that, check the website or email the office, and we'd love to put you into contact with those that can help in that regard. Another way of helping is to reach out. Reach out to your life group. Reach out to your community group, to your small group. Uh, Make sure nobody is left behind. If you feel like you're suddenly randomly thinking about somebody Why not take that as a prompting from the Holy Spirit and phone that person or email or text or whatever? If you're not in a small group in the church, if you're not in a community group and you're feeling isolated, we are doing our best to try and connect with as many people as possible. But we know there's always going to be somebody that falls through the cracks. And if you feel like that's you, reach out to us, email the office, let us know so that we can find out how to support you and how to help you through this. So here we are, meeting virtually. As you sit in your lounge or at your dining room table or wherever in your house you find yourself, and me over here, and with that reality that we ain't in Kansas no more, how do we go forward? What hope is there? What word is there from Scripture? Today is Palm Sunday. You heard that a moment ago from Lisa's children's story, just such a a delightful story that she shared with us. Palm Sunday is the Sunday before Easter. It's the one we know so well within the Christian calendar, and it marks the day that Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And as Jesus enters into Jerusalem, he knows what's coming. You and I know what's coming because we've read the story. And so although we see the celebration on Palm Sunday and we see the crowds rejoicing and worshiping, Jesus sees that and receives from that, but he knows what's coming. He knows Good Friday is coming, the darkness of the cross, the death that he will face. But even as he faces that, he knows that cross, he knows Good Friday is not the end. Easter Sunday is coming where Jesus will raise back to life. And Jesus will conquer death. And Jesus will pay the ultimate price for us. So next Sunday or next Good Friday and Sunday, we'll have another two services on Good Friday morning and Easter Sunday morning. In fact, Good Friday is going to be a communion service. And you heard me right. 
we are sharing communion virtually. That means for this communion service, you need to prepare the elements at home. Grab some juice, grab some wine, grab some bread, grab some crackers, whatever it is you've got to share amongst your family or to those with you or even on your own. Be prepared so that we can celebrate communion together next Friday. But today is Palm Sunday, the celebration as Jesus enters into Jerusalem. If you have your Bibles with you, won't you turn with me to Matthew chapter 21? And again, you could be watching this on a device. You can use Version, the Bible app, which is incredible. You can use Bible Gateway as a website, uh, or you can use the good old-fashioned paper Bible that might be with you. But as we read, let's read from Matthew 21, verses 1 to 17 from the New International Version. We read this account, Matthew 21, verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks and on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer. But you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him? Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. You know, as I read that passage, as I read that account, uh, there are a couple of thoughts that come to mind. So I want to briefly share some of those thoughts as we read through and track it, and then contemplate, well, what does that mean? How do we respond to this well-known story and to this passage? Well, the first thing we see is Jesus riding in on a donkey. 
Uh, I loved in Lisa's story the little Eeyore character. I hope you noticed who that was. And uh, But Jesus didn't ride in on Eeyore. He didn't ride in on a lovable character. Jesus rode in on a plain old donkey. Uh, donkeys are typically seen as slow creatures. They're beasts of burdens. They're dumb animals. In fact, uh, certain donkeys are known as asses or jackasses. And when we typically call someone an ass or a jackass, what we're saying is they're a stupid donkey. Now, I read that story and I go, why not a majestic stallion? Uh, you might find this hard to believe, but when I was a young boy, I used to go for horse riding lessons. I know, confession time. And I would go for these horse riding lessons, and one of my favorite horses that I ever got to ride on was this huge black stallion named Star. He was just majestic. He was awesome. I mean, I almost needed a stepladder to get up onto Star. And we would ride through these vineyards in Cape Town, and and if I was at the back of the pack, I would have finger guns going. I'm the cowboy. I'm the man on the steed. Majestic. Why not a stallion, Jesus? Why a, why a donkey of all creatures? Well, isn't that how Jesus always seems to act? Jesus is subversive. Jesus is countercultural. He's humble. He's meek. And, and meek doesn't just mean weakness. It's power under control. It's this gentle spirit that Jesus has. And all through the Gospels, Jesus works in ways that we would never think the Son of God would. Largely because he works in ways that you and I never would. He moves in ways we would not choose. He moves in ways we don't understand. So Jesus rides in on a donkey. But as he rides in on a donkey, the the next thing we notice are the disciples and the crowds rejoicing and worshiping. They shout out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. You know, that word Hosanna, it originates in Hebrew and yes, gets translated into Greek and Aramaic. The word Hosanna is an exclamation. It's a shout of exclamation and praise, but it typically means something to do with saving or rescuing or a savior is in our presence. It was typically used in language of a victorious king returning from battle or a news of a new king, sorry, who's there to rescue his people. And of course, that as we read that, we kind of go, huh? A king who's defeated their enemy? What does that mean? Jesus hasn't done that. He hasn't defeated anyone. Well, not yet. Anyway, you see, the following week or within a week, I should say, Jesus is going to hang from a cross. And on that cross, he's going to exclaim, it is finished. That work of defeating the enemy will be done on the cross. And although the crowds don't realize it now, as they shout Hosanna, as they declare and as they exclaim that the Savior has come and we've been rescued, it's almost a prophetic comment of what's about to take place. Jesus will defeat the king of this world. Jesus will defeat Satan and rescue and redeem humanity. 
And so the crowds around, they see this commotion and they hear the shouting and the rejoicing and they ask, who is this? And they're told this is the prophet uh, from Galilee. And so the crowds are soon swept away in celebration. They lay their coats down. They sway palm branches. Again, a sign of victory in battle. But you know what? As I read that and and as I kind of look at that story, I'm just reminded people are easily swayed in hype, aren't they? They're swept away by what's going on. And of course, if you don't believe me that people can be easily swayed and, and swept along, then just watch all the viral videos doing the rounds right now of people mass buying toilet paper. We're easily swayed. We're easily moved. In fact, that impolite word I used a moment ago about donkeys, that's why we use that on people sometimes. Now, of course, you and I know this story. We know what's going to happen. We know that that same crowd that's shouting, Hosanna and blessed is he who comes, that same crowd worshiping and rejoicing, it's the same crowd who a few days later will shout, crucify him. Crucify him. But for now, for now, the crowds worship. The crowds rejoice. And then as Jesus is moving into Jerusalem and as the crowds are worshiping and rejoicing, he comes into the temple and he begins to clear the temple of the money changes. And and there's this image of anger. Jesus sees the corruption. He sees the fraud. He sees the abuse of power. And Jesus looks and he sees the religious leaders who should be serving the people. But here they are serving themselves. They're getting rich by exploiting the system, bending the rules, finding loopholes for themselves. And so Jesus gets angry. In fact, in one of the other gospel accounts, we read of Jesus making a whip and driving money changers out of the temple, of literally flicking over tables. And in this anger, he he stops and he goes, my father's house will be a house of prayer. Meaning, in my father's house, this is supposed to be a place of solace. This is supposed to be a place of refuge. This is supposed to be a place where the children of God can come and speak to their heavenly father. They can bring their requests, they can bring their worship to God Almighty, to their father. And it's always supposed to be like that. Since the Garden of Eden, since the creation of the world, God walked with Adam and Eve as friends. We read in Genesis, God walked in the cool of the day. It's always been about relationship with humanity. God still longs to do that with you and with I. He still longs for relationship. Don't ever think for a moment God doesn't want to speak with you. Don't ever think for a moment that you've done something too terrible, too terrible. Well, you're not good enough, or you're not worthy. Every moment of every day, God reaches out to us to restore that relationship. God invites you back to that place time and time again. And almost to illustrate that, it's this next scene we see in this story that we've read. As Jesus has now driven out the money changes and he's declared, my father's house is a house of prayer, so come the sick and the lame and those in need. And Jesus heals them. Jesus heals the sick and the lame. He continues to do what he's always been doing in his ministry life. He's demonstrating his authority and his power as the son of God. 
by healing people and setting them free from their physical infirmities. Jesus heals the sick and the lame. (laughs) And, And in the midst of that, the religious leaders come up to Jesus and they get a little bit angry and Jesus simply rebukes them. And you, they don't like what they're seeing. They don't like the fact that people are being healed. They don't like the fact that Jesus is driving out the money lenders. They don't like the fact that the crowds and the children are worshiping him and, and declaring Hosanna. And so they want him to make the crowd silence and stop doing what he's doing. In Luke's accounts of this entry into Jerusalem, we read Jesus telling these Pharisees and religious leaders that if he made the crowds keep quiet, the very rocks would shout out praise. Meaning, uh, or, or if I could paraphrase, Jesus is basically going, no, I won't make them. I cannot make them. Praise is a natural result of my presence in this place. And so instead of listening to them and yielding to them, he rebukes them. The very people who should know and should be able to see who this is in front of them cannot see it for all the money in the world. And so Jesus rebukes. So what does this mean? What do we do with with this story? How do we respond to this story? Well, I think it's fairly simple. If you'll stick with me, just thinking of those few points going through, the first thing that jumps out from the story is Jesus is king. Jesus is still king. The son of God has always been and will always be the king. As scripture elsewhere describes him, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus has always been worshipped. From the moment he stepped into creation as a baby in in a manger, he was worshipped in that place. Now he's worshipped in Jerusalem as he enters, and again we will read he will be worshipped for all eternity as the king. Many years ago I preached a sermon from Romans 14 verse 11, and my title for the sermon was deliberately kind of confrontational to get people to think. My title was, It Doesn't Matter What You Believe. Now, if you go and read Romans 14, verse 11, we read, Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is king, and Jesus will be worshipped as king. My friends, the invitation from this story, it, it invites us to think through, who do we believe Jesus is? Maybe you need to think about that right now. How do you view Jesus? Because Jesus is king. But not only is Jesus king, Jesus is still worthy of worship. In fact, as our church purpose statement says in the middle of it, yes, we seek to be a loving community of hope in Jesus Christ, worshiping God. Because Jesus is worthy of worship. Jesus uh, is still to be worshipped. And so we as a community want to worship the King. Even in the midst of a pandemic. Even in the midst of asking why and not knowing why things are happening. I've been blown away just reading through Psalm 89 again. The Psalm of Lament. It's this powerful psalm. It's a pretty lengthy psalm. But Psalm 89 begins by declaring the glory of God and the power of God and how he's moved in the nation and how he's moved in in the midst of the kings of Israel. And we read this power, and as we're reading, we're going, yes, amen and amen. 
But then the psalmist suddenly turns and he starts to ask, why God? Why are these things taking place around us? Why is there this hurt? Why is there this confusion? Why, why, why? I don't know about you. I don't know what you're going through in the midst of this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. I don't know what experience you're having. Perhaps a loved one is sick right now. Perhaps your employment is unsure. Maybe you've already been laid off or put onto half time. Uh, my friends, yes, ask the why question. But you know what I love about Psalm 89? In the midst of the why, right at the very end, the psalm finishes off with praise be to the Lord forever and ever. And why would the psalmist write that? Because even in the why, the psalmist knows God is in control. And so as we look at this parable and this story, sorry, Jesus is king. Jesus is worthy of worship. And as you spend time in isolation with limited movement, use this downtime to worship. Put headphones in, listen to uplifting music, sing, pray, read the Bible. Worship, write out your praise because Jesus is still worthy of worship. And then flowing on from that, The third thing I see out of this and the third meaning is that Jesus will still do whatever it takes to restore relationship between us and our Heavenly Father. 2,000 years ago, Jesus stepped from eternity and took on flesh. He became what he had created. He became human. And as he grew up, he grew up with a purpose. And the purpose before him was the cross. That's what we'll look at next week on Friday and indeed on Sunday. But why? Why would Jesus come knowing that death was ahead of him? Why would Jesus come knowing the cross was there? Simply because Jesus will do whatever it takes to reconcile you and I back into relationship with our heavenly father. We have access to the father, to the son and to the spirit because of the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus will still do whatever it takes. Now, now don't mishear me. You know, I, I refuse to believe that Jesus has sent something like the coronavirus as a punishment for humanity. No. We live in a fallen world where the effects of the fall and the effects of sin kind of reach into the physical realm and into that created order and and distorted it and added viruses and diseases and all sorts of trials and tribulations and problems that we will experience. So I'm not for a moment saying Jesus has sent this to punish or that Jesus has sent this to get our attention. What I am saying is in the midst of this, Jesus can still use it for his glory and to get our attention. If we would just learn to open our eyes, And in humility to say, okay, Jesus, what are you trying to say to me? Help me see what you're doing. Jesus doesn't send hurt. But just as Rick Warren has so famously said, Jesus also never wastes a hurt. And Jesus can use this experience that we're all going through to get our attention and to draw us back in to relationship. I'm reading a book at the moment called Against Death. 35 essays on living. Uh, Just such a powerful book as people have written their own personal accounts of journeying through the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, And in one of the essays, the 
author was writing about how we want to live pain-free lives and we want to avoid pain. We want to avoid these experiences. And they actually quote the ancient mystics and speak about how God never promises to spare us from pain. But God always promises to be with us in pain. Maybe that's what you need to hear at this time. God will do whatever is to get our attention because God promises he will be with us. So Jesus is still king. Jesus is still worthy of worship. Jesus will still do whatever it takes to restore relationship. And fourthly, Jesus still heals for his glory and for his purpose. I could preach an entire series of sermons on this topic of Jesus and healing, spiritual healing and physical healing. And, and it's, it's a big one, full of interesting little caveats and side streets and all those kind of things. I had a, a very long-winded Facebook debate about this with a Christian sister who has a very different view on the topic to what I did. But, but we both came to that groundwork that Jesus still heals. And so I believe Jesus instructs us to pray for healing for one another. Jesus instructs us and indeed invites us to pray and to expect healing. But then he also invites us to trust him as he moves for his glory and for his purpose. My friend, again, I don't know what physical ailment, what challenge you're going through. What I do want you to know is we as a church want to pray for you. You can email the office, prayer at whiterockbaptist.ca. We would love to pray for you in faith. Jesus' brother, James, in his book or his letter titled James, writes to the church and says, if any of you is sick, let them call the elders that would come and lay hands on you and anoint you with oil and pray for you. Now, of course, right now, we won't be laying hands on you. But we can still pray. We can still have faith. We can still trust God that he will still heal and do what he wants to do. And we can leave the results to him. Let us know how we can pray for you because we'd love to pray for you. Why? Because we believe Jesus still heals. And then the last thought we see from this is Jesus still rebukes the Pharisees and the hypocrites. Jesus still uh, rebukes those who miss what he is doing. Jesus does that today through his word and through disciples who believe his word and who practice his word. My brothers and sisters, my friends, let us not be included in that list of people who saw Jesus and saw what he did and saw who he was and chose to ignore it. And it chose to be hypocrites or Pharisees against what he was doing. Let us be faithful disciples of Jesus, continuing his ministry as we worship and as we serve the king. Let us show our faithfulness by obeying him, by loving others and serving others. Jesus is still king. Jesus is still worthy of worship. Jesus will still do whatever it takes to restore relationship with you. And Jesus still heals and Jesus still rebukes. Don't be in that list of those who need to be rebuked. Don't ignore his invitation. Don't walk away from Jesus Christ today and into this Easter season. Contemplate Good Friday where Jesus gave his life for you. Remember Easter Sunday, where Jesus conquered death and promises eternal life and glory with him. We can experience that personal relationship today. 
We can experience that personal relationship that we were created for, for all eternity. And we can do that when we acknowledge Jesus is King. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you. I thank you for the fact that you, as God, came to earth and walked among us, walked among your creation as one of your creation. Jesus, I thank you for doing whatever it took to restore relationship between us and our Heavenly Father through you and with you. And Jesus, I pray for those who are listening to this message right now, those who perhaps don't know you as King. And Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open their ears, their eyes, their hearts, and their minds to your invitation to life. To those of us who know you as Jesus, as Lord and Savior, remind us again today that you're still King. You're still worthy of worship. You will still do whatever it takes to get our attention and restore relationship. You will still heal. And yes, you still rebuke when we go off track. As we sit in the midst of a global pandemic, as we sit in the midst of a world that looks so different to how it did just a few weeks and months ago. Oh, Jesus, by your spirit, would you intervene? Help us overcome this time. And come what may, may you receive glory and honor. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.